to welcome Pastor Bob to share with us the word. Let's welcome him. Well, good morning, Springville. Good to be here this morning. And uh, Rhonda and I always love coming back to home here. And uh, we appreciate the opportunity to uh, open the Word of God and worship with you. Good to see the crowds uh, growing during these days. It's great. And, and uh, Rhonda and I had wonderful uh, memories of being here and serving. Um, and it's always great to be forgotten, too. It's good for the ego. Um, I guess it was in the summer we came. And, and, of course, being here 28 years, you kind of think everybody knows who you are, but they don't. And uh, we got to the door, and they're like, Fleming, Fleming. Fleming, let's see, Fleming, what's your first name? And they're flipping the page. Well, it was good for the ego, it was good. And uh, anyway, it is great to be here, and uh, of course, so many of you are new, which is fantastic, and uh, it's just thrilling to be able to uh, see God take the place to next steps under Pastor Ed and team, and uh, always a privilege to uh, be together and uh, be in church. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. We're going to go to Psalm 122, and I'm going to do this sermon, might be a little controversial, but um, I've entitled the sermon, uh, Going to Church and Loving It. Going to Church and Loving It. Now, it's no surprise to anyone here today that the subject of church and people's loyalties to church and serving in the church and attending church and, and uh, supporting the church have been severely tested throughout the pandemic. And lockdowns and restrictions and social distancing and masking and even vaccinations have all woven together to, to make going to church somewhat challenging and somewhat laborious and for many uh, almost um, just too much of a hassle. And as we get around to our different churches, we recognize that a lot of our leaders in a sense are thinking like maybe 20% of their congregation is kind of faded away and, and uh, they're in a bit of a rebuild, but there's, there's no question that the church of Jesus Christ and gathering together has taken a hit. And then, and then we remind ourselves of, you know, the reality that before the pandemic, the attending church and the role of church was in decline. I mean, I, I bring these statistics and you know them after World War II. 67% of all Canadians attended a religious service of some kind every week. So if you're in bed on a Sunday morning in Canada in 1946, you're probably in the minority. I mean, that is mind-boggling. And then we fast forward back in the 80s, that percentage was down to about 33%. And Today, the EFC and Angus Reid polls have that number down to about 13%. And then, then we got the hemorrhaging faith, the EFC study results back in 2012 that only one in three Canadian young adults who attended church weekly as a child still do so today. And of those who no longer attend, half have stopped identifying themselves with the Christian tradition in which they were raised. Church. Church, just the role of church. We need, we need like a revival and a renewal 
of the role and place of the local church. Here are just some verses uh, very quickly to help kind of prime the pump before we get into Psalm 122. Ephesians 5, 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so we know the church is, is God's chosen instrument to reach a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God does not have a B plan. There's no contingency. And so you're here this morning and you're investing in something that God invested in and gave his only son for. It's fantastic you're here. It's fantastic. And so there's almost a guarantee if you give your heart and soul to the church and serve the church and the power of the Holy Spirit, God is going to bring blessing and he's going to extend the kingdom. I mean, that's a, that's a great guarantee. It's better than, than a Warren Buffett or a, a questtrade.com. I mean, it's backed by the creator and sustainer of the universe. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How about Hebrews 10? Uh, 24, 25, let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so let me quickly say that virtual church, online church is fantastic. And so if you're joining church today and you're online, I, I think that's a, it's, it's wonderful. But I quickly, I quickly want to say that, that, um, online church is complementing what we're doing as a local church in our gatherings, but not replacing what we're doing in our local gatherings. And so I'm not talking about people with comorbidities or people who are the vulnerable sectors of our population. I get it. They have to be careful in coming to church and they need to be careful. And I think that's wise. But if you're healthy and you're younger than me, younger you know, church is a great place, and so, and so virtual church supplements what we do, but it's not a substitute for what we do. And then, just in my notes, I put Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them, or there I am in the midst. And so we know that church is not bricks and mortar. It's not a building. We are the church, the ecclesia. And so when we come together as God's children and assemble, there the gathered followers of Christ meet together. And so I'm just here this morning kind of pumping it like, hey, you know what? Let's go back to church. And so we've got this, you know, movement of, of churches in, in Ontario and English-speaking Quebec, and as we kind of get around, we're seeing that, man, we need to, we need to remind ourselves of the central role of the local church of Jesus Christ, and as best you can, get behind it and come back and get a part of its mission to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples of all nations. Now, Psalm 122. Psalm 122 is one of the psalms of ascent or psalms of steps or songs to sing while traveling on the way up to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And so pilgrims praising God um, as they made their way to the temple three times a year to worship at the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And, and verse 1 is an answer to an invitation. It's an answer to a proposition. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's go up to the house of the Lord. And it's so refreshing to hear David's response. It's not, you know, well, church is boring. 
or a church is full of hypocrites, or that's the day I sleep in, or I don't like the pastor. How can you not like the pastor? <laughs> or, you know, I don't like the music. How can you not like the music? Or, you know, I got issues from the past and been hurt, so I don't go anymore. David comes roaring out of the blocks, and he says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. He's thrilled. He's elated. The message puts it, when they said, let's go to the house of my God, my heart leaped for joy. There's delight there. He's over the moon on cloud nine. And so I just want to go through Psalm 122 and remind ourselves of the blessings and the place of the local church. Now we know in Jerusalem, the temples in Jerusalem, the Shekinah glory of God resides there in the temple. And so as we make applications from Psalm 122, we understand that Jerusalem and the temple, in this particular context, we could replace that with the local church today. And so as the pilgrims are going, here's four or five things that come out of the text why church is such a great place to go and keep as such a high priority in our lives. Number one, church is a place where spiritual history is made. Church is a place where spiritual history is made. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem, verse 2. And so we can just imagine what is happening here. Pilgrims from the far north, from Zebulun and Naphtali, and pilgrims from the east, the other side of the Jordan, Manasseh and Gad, Reuben, have all finally arrived. And they've navigated hundreds and hundreds of kilometers to be there, and mountains and valleys and forests and desert. And as they, they pass through Jerusalem's gates, they drop their gear and baggage, and they just soak in the magnificence of the city. And they are flooded with the spiritual significance of Jerusalem and the temple. They are flooded with the, the sacred memories that the city of Jerusalem holds for them. Jerusalem just isn't any city. It's mentioned over 800 times in the Bible. It embodies the very temple of God. Jerusalem is the city of God, Psalm 46.4. Jerusalem is the city of the great king, Psalm 48.2. Jerusalem is the faithful city, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 8.3. And so the pilgrims come to the city, the temple of their God, to make sacrifices, and they're reminding themselves of all the spiritual high water marks and the spiritual history of all that God had done for them. Raising up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, bringing them out of bondage of Egypt, revealing himself at Mount Sinai, granting them the land of Canaan. Sacred transformational events. Spiritual high water marks. And so I, I just wrote down local congregations and churches become these holy places where you develop and acquire significant spiritual history. And so my, my home church is Willowdale Baptist Church at Finch and Young. Uh, I accepted the Lord at a very young age at, at uh, a church in Montreal. And then very early on, we moved to Toronto, and, and uh, I would be in like grade two and got to Willowdale Baptist Church. And, and as I look back at my spiritual formation, the memories that that church family and the impact that it had on my life were unbelievable. And so that church holds these sacred memories for me. I remember the first time I prayed out loud. 
I remember that. And, and um, you know, my parents would go to prayer meetings and people talk about prayer. And I was kind of coming along in my, in my own spiritual growth and, and was in a, in a kind of a junior high meeting. We had a prayer meeting and, and uh, I, I took the courage and, and as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ was able to prayer audibly with other believers together. It was huge for me at the time. I remember I was baptized. Pastor Gord Stevens baptized me. And I remember as a, a younger person listening to sermons and realizing, I need to get baptized. I've accepted Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I need to obey. I need to, I need to be baptized. And I went to the pastor afterwards, who I rarely talked to. I kind of looked up to him and, and uh, uh, kind of, you know, put him on a mountaintop kind of thing, but got the courage up to say, you know, I, I want to be baptized. That's great, Bobby. That's great. And, and so I went home, and then about a week later, my, I came home one day on my bike, and my mom's like, hey, you got a phone call. Oh, good, one of my friends. No, it was the pastor. The pastor? Yeah, the pastor called me? Yeah, he wants you. The pastor wants me. Yeah. He's coming over. He's coming over. Yeah, he wants to talk to you about baptism. Okay. It was huge. Came over and opened the word and, and taught me what is baptism and what does it actually mean in the picture of dying with Christ and rising again. And it was incredible. Memories, high watermarks. The first significant ministry I really ever had was a bus captain at Willowdale Baptist Church. And we would we would go out and we would visit on Saturday all the houses of the kids that hopefully would be attending, and we'd send a bus. I was the bus captain of the bunny bus, and we would go out and we'd pick these kids up and we'd bring them back. We had 40, 50, 60 kids sometimes on the bunny bus. It was a huge responsibility. It was an incredible thing. The bus ministry was a new ministry at Willowdale. I remember being on one of the buses before we had any kids on the bus, and we were going up Young Street getting ready to go on our route, and my dad was driving the bus, and we looked beside us, and a, and a tire had come off somebody's vehicle and was shooting off into the SO service station, and I said, look, Dad, that's somebody's tire. He goes, oh, wow, we go, that's our tire. Whoa, whoa wait a minute. And, and these were the early days of bus ministry. We didn't kill anybody. But it was incredible. It was the memory. It was a spiritual high watermark. What, the church? The church. And so through the bus ministry, a, a young kid, Matir Wall, accepts Christ. And then he starts coming, and he gets baptized, and starts coming to our youth program, and then he responds to the call of God. Mactier Wall is, is one of our missionaries in France. He's been there over 30 years. He's planted two churches, and he teaches in seminary over there, and this is, this is God and me and the church, Willowdale Baptist Church, helping me recognize that God can use even me, me. And so, what's so great about going to church? Well, church is a place where spiritual history is made. And these high watermarks of our spiritual formation take place at church. Number two, I got to watch my time here. I get carried away. Church is a place where not only spiritual history is made, but church is a place where you regain your bearings and you recapture your focus. Now go with me here. 
You regain your bearings and you recapture your focus. Look at verse 3. Jerusalem is built like a city that's closely compacted together. Now, the word compacted together, that's the same verb that talks about how well and how perfectly joined together the tabernacle was in, in, in Exodus 26. And so, physically speaking, Jerusalem's walls and stones and gates and foundations merge together to form a united and a completed structure. There's wholeness to it. There's fittedness to it. It's an architectural observation, but it has a spiritual application. And so when the tribes of Israel come to Jerusalem to worship, there's this coming together for them. All the fragments of who they were and all the bits and pieces of how they were formed as a nation and how they came into the promised land merged together into a meaningful and understandable picture and purpose. And so the same thing happens when we come to church. We're not just unified as a body of believers. We're unified and put back together in our souls. Now, let me say something quickly here. The world, the flesh, and the devil deconstruct us. It is literally hell out there. And you and I take a hammering. Now, now look, I'm in vocational Christian ministry. I take my Bible to work. Many of you just can't do that. I pray before all the meetings I go to. I, I, I'm in vocational Christian ministry. And I'm telling you, if I spend a typical week out in the world, the world, it disorients me. It, here's a word, discombobulates me. That's a real word. It deconstructs me. John Mark, all eager to go on that first missionary journey, he sees the mountains of Asia Minor and literally runs back home to mummy. The world is a tough place to serve and be in. The disciples experience Christ's crucifixion. Their hearts are crushed, and so they just go back to fishing. Thomas hasn't seen the resurrected Lord, and so he, he hides in isolation and fear. The world system, don't be conformed to the world. It crushes and distorts. Satan, the roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's relentless to steal, kill, and destroy. The frailty of the flesh, we're constantly told in 2 Peter 1, I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them, you need to have them mentioned to you so your memory will be refreshed. And so what happens to me out in the world? My convictions get clouded. And Christian values get eroded and eternal perspectives get reduced and minimized. And so there's this need for reconstruction. Uh, we built a cottage years ago uh, up in Huntsville. And, and we, you know, we'd done all the work and the septic tank was in and they'd done the foundation and, and uh, we'd done a driveway. And, and, and so, you know, I'm waiting to put the house up and, and up comes a truck and it basically dumps on my driveway all the framing and roofing for my cottage. Now, it's in a bundle with, with steel strapping around it. And I remember looking at it like, oh, my goodness, this is, this is crazy. What? And I undid the strapping, and I start pulling pieces of plywood off and two by four. It was just very confusing to me. And then a bunch of guys from the church came up. 
as I had planned. And, uh, you know, some of them were carpenters, and they basically took all that, and they constructed my house. And so there's this, you know, confusion that leads to cohesion and this sort of disorganization that leads to design. It's an incredible thing. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if I need spiritual adjustments in my life, in what I do, and I've been doing it for over 40 years, you need it too. And we need church. We need church. We need to come together. We need to get sharpened and adjusted and our convictions moored. It's funny, I, uh, Rhonda and I came here. We kind of come unpredictably, but a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, just to be very quick on the story, I, I had come to the conclusion, I, I had, we had two cars, Rhonda and I, I didn't really need my second car, and, and uh, I put a lot of money in it, new tires, and, and done some brake work on it, and, and had a mechanic go through the whole thing, it's great, but we really didn't need it. I remember my brother, who's a missionary in Africa, he phoned me and said, Bobby, do you know anybody who, who you know, could sell a car? I, I need a car. And, and uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, I've done so much work on this car. And I get, you know what, I'm going to, I'll sell it. I guess I'll sell it to him at a reduced rate. I felt the Lord talking to me about my car and didn't really need the car and new tires. I put all this in it. And, and, um, and then so I, I sold my car at a very, very reduced rate to my brother, Richard. And then, then of course, you watch TV and, hey, Cars are going up in price. And if you've got a used car, I mean, it's probably worth way more than when you first bought it. And then you chip, there's a chip problem, and it went on and on and on. And of course, my mind, I'm just thinking, yeah, you know, man, I, I kind of sold, undersold that car to my brother, you know, and, and the world and my brain. And, and then I come to church, Rhonda and I come to church a couple of weeks ago, and Ed's preaching on money and things. And he's in our face. About, you know, don't worry about temporal things. You know, you got to think eternally and, and don't moth and rust corrupt, you know. You invest in heavenly things. And, and, and I'm sitting at the back and he's pounding away. I mean, he held nothing back. And you know what? It was good for me to hear. Because what it did, it, it tightened those screws of conviction that were getting a little bit loosened about a sale of my car to my brother who's a missionary who I knew the Lord wanted me to do it, but I did it and I wondered and I thought and you kind of second guess. and You come to church, you hear the word and things get tightened, adjusted. You get put back together again. And so church is a place of, of spiritual history, and that's where spiritual history is made. It's a place where you and I regain our bearings and we, we recapture our focus. And thirdly, church is a place where you and I obey the command of the Lord to worship and praise him. It's a command to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel, verse 4. Go up and worship. Go up and worship. That's the theme of the psalm. And so worship's not optional. It's mandatory. It's, it's a command according to the statute or the law given to Israel. I want you to praise the name of the Lord. Why? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and the spiritual forces in heavenly places 
Although we live in the world, we do not wage war like the world. The weapons we fight are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's the big point? The war is won through worship. What? It's so countercultural. The war is won through worship. And so the battles we have, we begin and we end with praise and exaltation and adoration. And so it's not our own ingenuity or our natural abilities or our own leadership skills or our own moves to take control or jostle for a best power position. The war is won through worship. And so we remind ourselves over and over and over again as we look at the Old Testament, Joshua is going to take Jericho. I mean, mean, the walls are, you know, six or seven stories high. Rahab's house is built in the wall. It's like 15 feet thick. How is he going to take the wall? And he's walking around one day before the battle takes place. And he meets a man with his sword out of his sheath. And he looks and says, who are you? And of course, this is a theophany. This is a pre-incarnate, you know, revelation of Jesus Christ. And the man says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now Joshua's thinking, I thought I was the commander of the Lord. No, no, no. You're not, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Well, what do you want me to do? Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And Joshua falls on his face, and he worships. He worships. What's the plan? Take the Ark of the Covenant, take seven priests with seven trumpets, walk around the walls once, seven times for the week, just once a day for seven days. Now, folks, you got to be kidding me. That's worship. That's worship. Then on the seventh day, walk around seven times, blow the trumpets, yell, and the walls will fall. Is that regular combat? What in the world? It's worship. It's worship. And so whatever we're going through, we got to acknowledge him as king of kings and lord of lords we need a place where we can come and together just adore and praise him as we're doing this morning and just have that privilege of understanding that the battle belongs to the lord and so paul and silas are thrown in in prison in philippi and what are they doing at midnight they're singing worship songs And the earthquake comes and rattles and the shackles let go and the door opens. and They lead the Philippian jailer and his his whole family to the Lord. And so the war is won through worship. Why do we come to church? Spiritual history is made. We we regain our bearings and we we recapture our focus and, and we obey the command to worship the Lord because our weapons are not flesh and blood kind of weapons. It's spiritual, tearing down strongholds. In the power of the Lord, we go forward in the power of the Lord. Where do I remind myself of that? Make that mid-course correction. At church, come to church and worship the Lord together. 
Number four, church is a place where our attention is centered on the decisions of God. I love this. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David, verse five. It's a picture of ultimate governance and and ultimate justice. Church is God's court where through his word you hear the absolute truth. Truth about what is right, what is wrong, what calls for mercy, what calls for punishment. Emotions and popular opinion and relativistic reasoning, it all goes out the window. It's the celestial verdict cutting through all the clamoring voices and cultural confusion of our day. You come to church, you open up the word and it's like, thus saith the Lord. So I'm on a phone call with a guy and he's talking to me and he's doing his PhD and at uh, one of the universities and he's kind of pushing back on my Christianity. And, and in the middle of the conversation, I said to him, do you believe in absolute truth? Whoa. Well, that's, you know, he says on the other end of the line, that's, that's the question of the century. I'm like, you know what? There's the fork in the road for you and I because I believe there is absolute truth. And God has revealed it in his word. And we need to hear a sure word in a world that's gone nuts out there and where everybody's got something to say. And just because they say it, they think they're right, but they're not. And so we gotta get our attention centered on the decisions of God. The world says there's no God. God says only the fool said in his heart there's no God. The world says, I'm pretty good. My good deeds will supersede my bad deeds. And God says, there's no one righteous, not even one. All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. The world says, look out for yourself. God says, no, no, consider others better than yourself. Get more stuff, accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. No, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, I'm all alone. And God doesn't care about me anymore. And you come to church, you open the word, and God says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. And the world says, well, no one man can take away the sin of the world. And we open up the word of God, and he decrees, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Church. Church. I love the prayer for unity of the church at the end of the psalm. There, uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, verse 6. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Why? Why pray for the church? Because when it works well, and there's a unity with everybody being on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ and wanting to make disciples. When it works well, it unleashes the gospel of Jesus Christ and it has eternal impact on thousands and thousands of people. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we look at China, 1.3 billion people. In 1975, there were 2.7 million believers in China. In 2010, 75 million believers in China. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church, it's one of the greatest church movements of the gospel 
in world history. Iran, 20 years ago, the number of Muslims coming to Christ in Iran, they figure was somewhere between two to 4,000 people a year. Today, data is revealing 800,000 to 1 million people have been converted to Christianity in Iran. There are more Iranians who have professed faith in Christ in the last 20 years than in the last 1,300 years. Nepal, 1951 consensus reported 458 Christians. They didn't know if they're believers. Research is now coming out in Nepal. 1,280,000 believers following Jesus Christ in Nepal. Listen, God is doing incredible work through through the gospel and the church around the world. We need renewal and revival in the church right here. And we got to get back through this. Let's go back to church. Not because we have to, although that's not bad. But because we know the blessings and the thrill and the joys of being the ecclesia, the assembled group of people moving together with one cause to, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to share that gospel and to make disciples. Rodney Stark, I end with this. He was a church historian. He said this, the church began as a ragtag band of nobodies but over the course of three centuries became an unstoppable, world-transforming movement that threatened the world's rulers and their claims to power. What started as a small band in AD 30 had exploded by AD 350 in a viral grassroots network of 33 million people. The church. The church. Hey, Let's go to church. I don't want to go to church. I don't like the pastor. You know, the church had hurt me years ago. I just, I can't go. So full of hypocrites, you know, as if they're not. But anyway, the church, the church, I rejoiced. Let's go to church. Fantastic. Let's go up to church. And so I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. It's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. And I'm thrilled to see numbers starting to grow again because believers recognize the centrality and the blessing of coming together in Christ as the church. May Jesus Christ build his church here. And may we see here the gates of hell not prevail against it. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Father, we, um, we just remind ourselves of the blessings of the church and we thank you and exalt you for the privilege of serving and uh, of being won by you in Christ and being put back together again. We were broken and undone and aimless and, and you have flooded and filled us with forgiveness and cleansing and washing and given us a mission, given us a commission. And so we pray for Springville Baptist Church. We pray for the, the people here, for your blessing on them, for the leaders, for, for all the team, for the pastor, and just pray for effectiveness during these days. 
And Lord, we know there are people, they can't come back. They're, they are vulnerable. and They do have comorbidities. But we, we pray a lifting of this pandemic. And we pray a victory even in the midst of it. And we thank you for the spiritual victories you've given. Even in the face of COVID-19, many hearts have been changed by you. And thank you for online church. We praise you that it can reach people and there can be a conduit where people can, can join. But God, we just praise and exalt you. We have the privilege of coming together as your, your followers. And may we keep going to church a habit in our lives to glorify you. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen and amen.